Father, we're singing songs. And the songs that we sing are asking for you to come down in a mighty way. Let heaven fall. Let your glory be revealed. Let your name be established. Let your presence be felt and known. God, that is the desire of our hearts. Just like Joshua who sat in your presence, Lord, and did not want to depart from your presence, Lord. We honor your presence here. We thank you that where where two or three are gathered in your name, you're here. You're ministering into our lives, restoring and refreshing our souls. We thank you for that, God. We thank you for this time. And Lord, today I ask for your uh, Holy Spirit to anoint the preaching of your word. I pray that your spirit would open our hearts, the eyes of our hearts to see you in a new way and to respond to our encounter of you. So we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. <clears throat> so last week we uh, began a new series called The Lord Is. And um, we talked about the importance of names in the Old Testament. And I mentioned how names in the Old Testament, uh, when people received a name, it, it, it identified their divine purpose. And so, for instance, Abraham, his name means father of many. And Abraham, uh, his descendants, I mean, are the people of Israel. And so uh, his name had a divine significant purpose attached to it. Uh, we also talked about how in the ancient Near Eastern world, there were uh, people believed in many gods. Uh, it was a very polytheistic worldview. They believed in many gods. And uh, we also talked about how it was important for the people to know the names of these gods. And the reason why is because they could invoke upon the name of a specific god for instance, if you were a farmer, which most people in those days would have been farmers, they would need rain to be, you know, to come down upon their land. Well, they would invoke upon the name of the fertility god. And we talked about that, how it was really important to do that. And um, it was in the midst of that worldview that God revealed his name to Moses, which was Yahweh, which, is, which means I am who I am. Essentially saying, I reveal myself to you. I am a self-revealing God. And God continues to reveal who he is to Moses in Exodus 34, 6-7, which says this. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands Forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty. And so this passage is where we'll be uh, camping for the next few weeks. Um, last week we talked about God's compassionate and gracious character. Um, and I mentioned last week how at Trinity we talk a lot about grace. We, we, we do. We talk a lot about grace. In fact, it's one of our trademarks here at Trinity Church that we preach inexhaustible grace. Inexhaustible grace. And so some people may, may, may hear that and say, oh, that's hyper grace. 
That's just hyper-grace. They focus too much on the grace side. Shouldn't focus too much on the grace side. You know? It's unbalanced. And my response to that is, well, in some sense, I mean, it's correct. It's important to have a balanced view of God. It is important to have a balanced view. But I will say this. Grace, by definition, is hyper. Grace, by definition, is amazing. Grace, by definition, is God's unmerited favor upon us. Undeserved, unmerited favor. Grace is hyper. And so, when we talk about grace at Trinity, we're not being unbalanced. We talk about grace because we tend to forget about God's grace. And so we need to be reminded. Just as the song goes, "'Twas grace that brought me safe thus far, and grace will lead me home." We often forget about grace. So we need to be reminded. I believe there's a reason why God revealed his grace, his merciful and compassionate, gracious and compassionate nature first to Moses. Why it's the first of the list? Because it's the foundation to the rest of his attributes. And that can certainly be said for the second attribute that we're going to talk about this morning, and that is God is slow to anger. God is slow to anger. Now we're going to have a little Hebrew lesson this morning. All right? Learn a little bit of Hebrew. Now the Old Testament was originally written in Hebrew. And the Hebrew language is very different from the English language. Very different. So what we translate into English from Hebrew sometimes doesn't capture the full essence of the meaning of a particular word or phrase. And so we're going to look at the phrase, slow to anger. Okay? Now, from the readings that I've read, the research that I've done, uh, the translation slow to anger is actually a good translation into the English. But when you look at that phrase in Hebrew, there's just much more to that. And the Hebrew phrase is, arek apaim. Arek apaim. When you literally translate that, Arek means long. Apaim means nostrils. Okay? Long nostrils. Now you might be thinking, what is that all about, right? Long nostrils? What is that talk? What, is it? what does that mean? Like, that's so weird. Well, it helps for us to think like a Hebrew. Okay? So let's try to think like the Israelites back in ancient Near Eastern Egypt, okay? Or Canaan. Exodus 15. If you have your Bibles, you could turn to Exodus chapter 15. Exodus 15 is a song, okay? Now, how many of you have ever gone through a difficult situation in life or you're, you face a certain obstacle and it's, it's a really tough obstacle and then all of a sudden you overcome that obstacle or the season of that trial is over? Some of us here are students. Oh, man. Yeah, I hear. Huh. That's right. Writing papers, finals, 
My goodness, the stress is huge. But you know what? When that time comes to an end, what do you, you, you feel like singing, right? It's like, I'm going to sing. So I don't have to write any more essays, no more tests. Woo! You feel like singing. It's such a great time. Others of you, whatever it is, whatever obstacle you have faced in life, when it comes to an end, you feel like singing. Maybe you have a, a big debt that you've been paying off, paying off, and all of a sudden it's, it's paid off. Can you imagine the feeling? Woo! Right? You feel like singing. Well, the Israelites were definitely in the mood for singing in Exodus 15 when God delivered them out of slavery. This is what it says. <clears throat> then Moses and the people of Israel sang this song to the Lord, saying, I will sing to the Lord. For he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider he has thrown into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my song. And he has become my salvation. This is my God and I will praise him. My father's God and I will exalt him. The Lord is a man of war. The Lord is his name. Pharaoh's chariots and his hosts he cast into the sea. And his chosen officers were sunk in the Red Sea. The floods covered them. They went down into the depths like a stone. I'm trying to think, how would they have put this into song, you know? What, what kind of melody would, they, would have this been? Anyway, <clears throat> your right hand, O Lord, glorious in power. Your right hand, O Lord, shatters the enemy. In the greatness of your majesty, you overthrow your adversaries. You send out your fury. It consumes them like stubble. At the blast of your nostrils, the waters piled up. The flood stood up in a heap. The deeps congealed in the heart of the sea. The enemy said, I will pursue. I will overtake. I will divide the spoil. My desire shall have its fill of them. And I will draw my sword. My hand shall destroy them. But you blew with your wind and the sea covered them. They sank like lead in the mighty waters. I don't hear too many songs in church today that sound like this one, but, you know, they were certainly singing about God's power in delivering Israel from Egypt. I mean, 400 plus years of slavery and God miraculously delivers them and they are no longer slaves. What an amazing, amazing feeling that would have been, right? This song talks about God's fury and anger which is directed towards Pharaoh's men and the chariots and the armies of Egypt. And in verse 8, the phrase, at the blast of your nostrils, is used. And the word for nostrils is the same word for anger. God's anger towards Egypt was expressed. The Red Sea swallowed up the armies of Egypt and the Israelites were destroyed. Here it is again in Psalm 1815. Then the channels of the sea were seen and the foundations of the world were laid bare at your rebuke, O Lord, at the blast of the breath of your nostrils. Again, the Hebrew word for nostrils is the same word for anger. So the picture is that God's anger and fury is like a blast from his nose. I was at the youth group this past Tuesday we were playing games, and one of the games is snot shot, okay? Man, the youth do funny things. You guys are so funny, okay? But I participated. Basically, you put a marshmallow in your nose, and you go, hmm, and just, 
and see how far that thing goes. And man, the fury of those youth, okay? You know, and hmm, I lost. I don't think I did so well, but anyway, yeah, funny games. So when you put the Hebrew words together, erek, apayim, long nostrils. I mean, just picture that for a moment, okay? A long nose, <laughs> like this, long nose, right? Picture a long nose. And when you breathe, how long will it take for that breath to come all the way through the channel of the nose and out the nostril? It'll take a long time, right? And so the idea is that God has a long fuse, And I think that's a better way for us to understand it when we put it that way, that God has a long fuse. Now, I'm sure some of us have heard the phrase to have a short fuse, right? To have a short fuse. If you know someone who has anger issues, you would say that they have a short fuse. It seems like anything will just set them off, right? Little thing, boom, anger. It's a short fuse, But the Hebrew understanding of God's anger is that he has a long fuse. His anger isn't expressed quickly. Another way to put it is God is long-suffering. God is patient. Now again, it's important for us to remember God's gracious and compassionate nature because God being slow to anger flows out from his gracious and compassionate nature. He's slow to anger, but he does get angry. God does experience anger. And there are two main reasons in Scripture that we see, two main ones, that provoke God's anger. Number one, ingratitude for what God has done. Okay, So not being thankful, in fact, forgetting what God has done in your life. Okay, Number two, infidelity against God. Now, Oftentimes, the relationship between God's people and God are, are like, like the words that are used to describe that relationship is a marriage, right? He's the bridegroom, we're the bride, that sort of thing. And so that infidelity against God is when we pursue other things. And especially when we look at the Old Testament, it's when the people pursued other gods. And that provoked God to anger. So let's look at the first one, ingratitude. Now remember... Moses in Exodus 15, Moses and the people of Israel were singing. They were singing a song. They were so happy with what God did. It was a miracle. It was huge. I mean, for the Jewish people, it's, and for Christians, this is still, it's one of the hugest things that God did in all of Scripture. Next, of course, the coming of his son, Jesus Christ. But for the Jewish people, this is everything. All their festivals, all the things that surrounds this major event. It is so important for them. And they're singing a song. Thank you, Lord. You are powerful. And then we get to the next chapter, Exodus 16. And this is what it says, verse 2. And the whole congregation of the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And the people of Israel said to them, Would that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt when we sat by the meat pots and ate bread to the full. 
For you have brought us out into the wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. I mean, in one chapter, they're singing. They're singing. And then the next chapter, they totally forgot the magnitude of what God did. If God can split the Red Sea in half and get them to walk on dry ground, I mean, that, that's mind-boggling to me too, right? I talked about that last week. You know, when a tide goes out, I mean, typically that's when, you know, I watch this show called Filthy Riches where people go and they, 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 make, they make their money off the land. And when, one of the ways people make money is to go, uh, when a tide goes out, they go and they dig for uh, worms in the, in the mud. And it's very muddy. I mean, they sink into the mud. And to think that God split the sea, and not only split the sea, but made the, the ground that they're walking on dry, I mean, that's, it's a phenomenal miracle. Phenomenal miracle. Okay? It wasn't just a natural phenomenon. Okay. It, was, it was huge. Yet they forgot. In fact, the Israelites grumbled and said, at one point, it's better if we were in Egypt. <laughs> in slavery. Wow. Church, we can get caught in the same trap. We can get caught in the same trap the Israelites were in. When life gets difficult, when things get hard, when we focus so much on our lack, we totally forget the God of abundance. We forget the God who delivers. We forget the God who saves. We forget the God who provides. We forget, we forget. And it's so tempting to start to adopt an attitude of complaining And once this complaining spirit takes a hold of our lives, it begins to pollute our thinking and our vision. It pollutes our vision to the point where everything we see, everything, there's something wrong with everything. It pollutes our souls. And the danger is that we begin to view God out of this polluted thinking. That's what provokes God to anger when we can get to that kind of a place with a grumbling and complaining spirit. In Numbers 14, 27, God responds to the grumbling of the Israelites. Here it is. How long shall this wicked congregation grumble against me? I have heard the grumblings of the people of Israel which they grumble against me. God was upset. God was angry. Now, another thing that provokes God to anger is infidelity against him. Judges chapter 2, verse 11 to 12 says this. And the people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, and they served the Baals. And they abandoned the Lord, the God of their fathers, who brought them out of the land of Egypt. They went after other gods from among the gods of the peoples who were around them and bowed down to them. And they provoked the Lord to anger anger. Last week we talked about this a bit when I mentioned the golden calf incident in Exodus 32. Just to give us a, uh, a reminder, when we look at that story, in fact when I looked at that story in Exodus 32 when 
Moses is up in the mountain and he's there for a long time. And the people of Israel, they're just they're waiting for Moses. And all of a sudden, Aaron, uh, he hears the grumbling of the people. And so he takes all the gold, all their earrings, all the, you know, the different gold that they had, melts it down and forms a calf. And we would think, what? And, he, and Aaron has the audacity to say, these are the gods that delivered you from Egypt. Israel, who's this bull here? Woo! And we would, we'd look at that and think, what? How could they do such a thing? But I mentioned last week how it wasn't such a crazy thing for the Israelites to do that because they were so used to that kind of religion. Right? That's normal Canaanite religion. They created idols and things to represent the God that they want to invoke upon. And so the bull is the fertility God. He sends rain. You need rain in the desert. You need water in the desert. So let's make a bull. He'll send some. That's what they were doing. They were reverting back to what they knew. But it's crazy because the people of Israel just experienced the raw power of God. God proved to them, look, I'm it. There is no other gods. I'm it. All those things that you created, they're not even real. It's not like God was looking at the gods that Canaan and Israel were worshiping and thinking, it's me versus them. No, no, no. There is no them. God is it. He's the truth. Those, that, the worship of stuff is a lie. It doesn't have any power. It doesn't bring fortune. It doesn't bring anything. And God is saying, listen, I'm it. I'm the truth. Live in the light of the truth. Not a lie. That's what it was. That's, that's what he's doing. But the people reverted back to their comfort zones. They reverted back to what they knew, which was the worship of gods that they could create themselves and see, see with their eyes. I mean, God told them not to do this. Exodus 20, the Ten Commandments, the first two. Right? We talked about that last week as well. You shall have no other gods before me and don't make images of anything, birds of the air, beasts of the field. Don't do that. It's not real. But they did anyway. And God was upset. God was angry. Now for us today in North America, 21st century North America, when we think of idol worship, it's like, well, that doesn't really exist here. We could think that way. It's not the same as how it was in Canaan or how it is in parts of the world, like India or other parts of um, Southeast Asia, where they worship millions of gods, millions, millions of gods, right? We think in, in North America, it's just, I don't know, but it certainly exists in North America in the things we pursue in life to gain momentary pleasure, momentary comfort, momentary illusion of security, now, the Bible describes sin as pursuing or enjoying fleeting pleasures in Hebrews chapter 11. Sin is pursuing something that we believe will 
give us ultimate fulfillment in life. And when we make those things our life purpose and vision, they become a form of idolatry. It, they do. But the crazy thing is those things in life, they never satisfy. Whatever it might be. Whatever it might be. They never satisfy. They don't fulfill our lives. It's like chasing after wind. It's like Solomon said in Ecclesiastes. He had all the wealth, all the gold, all the silver, all the wealth that he could possibly imagine. And he calls it chasing after wind. Can't, you can't catch wind. It's, it's pointless. It doesn't satisfy. Yet we continue. We could, we could fall into patterns of continuing to chase after these things. God wants us to discover him as our greatest treasure. He is the one who can truly, totally satisfy the longings in our hearts. King David was known as a man after God's own heart and he wrote this in Psalm 103. I I think this has become my favorite psalm. Psalm 103. We sang, actually, a song based on Psalm 103. Bless the Lord. Oh, my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good, so that your youth is renewed like the eagle's. God is the source of all fulfillment, of all joy in this life. God is. Nothing else compares to that. And God wants us to discover that and know him and enjoy him forever. Forever. We're going to take a moment to reflect Upon our lives. We're taking a moment to just let the words that were spoken this morning to sink into our spirit. I don't want us to miss this. It's so easy to miss. I mean, I understand. I forget my own sermon on Mondays, right? I really want this to really sink into our spirits, church. There's going to be some reflection questions on the screen in a moment. But before we get there, I want to remind you about God's nature. Although there are things that provoke God to be angry, by his grace and his mercy and his compassion, God is slow to anger. 2 Peter verse 3, 9 says this, The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. God is slow to anger because he wants everyone to have the chance to come to that place of repentance. Now, I mentioned last week, repentance is like course correction. It's saying, okay, I've been doing this and I'm walking, I'm going in the wrong direction here. I'm going to make the choice 
to turn around. That's repentance. I'm, I, I'm going the wrong way. I'm going to choose to go this way. That's repentance. The fruit of it is actually walking it out. Okay? Repentance is a, a change of thinking. Saying, God, I'm going to let this go. It doesn't satisfy. It, it doesn't. I'm bound by this, but I'm going to let it go. Because you are the deliverer. You are my redeemer. I choose to let it go. God is slow to anger because he wants us to get there. And when we do, we experience his grace and mercy and compassion in a way that makes us want to sing. Sing. You are good. You're a good, good father. It's who you are. It's who you are. And I'm loved by you. It's who I am. It's who I am. So let's take a moment to reflect. Um, if, you have your jur- if you have a journal, that'd be great to pull out. If not, there's some cue cards in the, in the pews there for you to write on. But there's three questions that I just, you know, we have, we have a bit of time. Just let's, let's not rush through it. Um, but just reflect.
pretty open with with you normally anyway. But with this, I'm like, should I, Lord? Are you sure? Yes. Are you sure? <laughs> anyway, I'll share. Um, one of the things that I had, I just, uh, it's interesting because I didn't, I mean, I'm not, I don't plan on what I'm going to write down. I didn't know I'd be writing things down this morning about the things I grumble and complain about, but I do, right? But uh, one of the things is pretty much when anything goes wrong, okay, when, when uh, whatever it is, when something goes wrong, I grumble. It can be something I did, mostly something when I, when I, when I do something. Uh, but whatever goes wrong, I find a way to grumble and complain. And um, some of the things that the Lord was showing me just, just now is the, the feelings and the, just, just what's behind that. Um, and it's uh, a sense of being out of control and a sense of uh, failure is unacceptable uh, to me. And... Uh, uh, I just had to give that over to the Lord. Um, speak to me out of this, Lord. And this is what I wrote down. It was a prayer that I wrote down. Was God help me to uh, have grace and compassion the way you do towards myself and towards others. Help me to be slow to anger as you are with me myself and to others. Isn't that fascinating? <laughs> it's like a soul healing thing that just happened. I just, I, I, you know, I just felt I should share that with you. Um, but let's pray. Father, you truly are an amazing, amazing God. You, you are so patient with us, Lord. Um, and God, I mean, there's things in my life, Lord, that I'm sure you're not happy about. Yet, Father, your, your grace and compassion, the fact that you are slow to anger, it, God, as we discover you as that, we are led to that place where we can come before you and lay it all down and be set free, be healed from the inside out. That is what you long for us, God. That we would be free, free to worship you, free to experience you as who you are. And so, Lord, I thank you for each and every person here this morning, for speaking to us, for leading us to green pastures and still waters to restore our souls. And for the things that we've confessed here this morning, God, Lord, your word says that as far as the east is from the west, so far do you remove our transgressions from us. God, you are so amazing. We thank you that we could lay it down at the foot of the cross and just let it go. And now I also pray, Father, for protection from the enemy to try to snag us back into old patterns, old patterns of thinking, old patterns of being. And Father, I pray that you would give us strength, each and every person here this morning, by your grace, give us the strength to overcome the attacks of the enemy and to stand firmly on the victory of your Son, Jesus Christ, who is our Lord, 
our Savior, our friend, our brother. In the glorious and powerful name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. 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 God bless you. God bless you. One of the things I'm thankful for is my church family. I love you guys. (laughs) Bless you. Have a great week.